TikTok is hugely un- underrated um, and it has a lot of different niches that sometimes people don't yeah. think about, but it's a matter of who are you and like what for- works for you, you know? So knowing yourself in anything is key. And, you know, I think the problem with social media is that people always try to come off like so perfect. Hi, I'm Greg Mastreeder, and this is my podcast on biohacking, transhumanism, productivity, and trends in tech and society. Today, my guest is Luba Yudasina, author of YouTube channel Life of Luba. She formerly worked at Airbnb and Yelp as software engineer and at Airbnb as chief of staff and product manager. Luba, hi. Hi, Greg. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, you flew in to Moscow to participate in some startup mentoring. Tell me about it. Yeah, so I flew in for a week. This is actually my last day, so I'm trying to get to do everything that I that I need to do on the last day. And thank you so much for, again, having me here. I was here as a visiting mentor for a 500 startups program that they did in partnership with Zbear. Um, and so there were 25 startups, some, some of the best startups in Russia in very different stages from very early stage to pretty mature companies on the Eastern European market. I was here to give them a lecture and spend uh, an hour with each startup to mentor them, uh, mostly uh, user acquisition, content strategy, and uh, pitch feedback, and honestly, anything else that they came to me to. How how does it work? Uh, How does mentoring in startups work? So you have your own experience with your own HR tech startup, I know. Uh, So you just share the insights that you um, acquired while doing that? Yeah, so a um, couple of notes with the HR tech startup, I actually did step down from it about a month ago and now I'm, I'm just exploring a couple of projects that it's a little premature to talk about. But in terms of mentoring, I've gained a pretty vast amount of experience while I was at Airbnb primarily because there I was a software engineer. Then I was working with VP of engineering and had um, a variety of experience from teams operations and processes to uh, running an integration of a company Airbnb bought into Airbnb infrastructure to then being a product manager on a government regulations team. And then for three years, I've been running my own startup, oh, sorry, my own YouTube channel, which is kind mm. of kind like of like a startup. A startup. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, so based on that experience and based what I've learned through doing things at Airbnb and seeing them grow from a pretty, I guess, middle-sized company to a pretty big organization and seeing how leaders in the company and other people around me do things and doing things uh, on my own, I've gained a bunch of knowledge in marketplaces, in just product in general, in teams processes, hiring, in um, user acquisition and some growth hacking type of stuff, in content strategies through my own YouTube channel and kind of seeing how Airbnb markets stuff. So usually you uh, come in as an expert. Um, I mean, I don't want to say like experts, but uh, expert in quotes, but you know, you basically... um, you say that you have a certain expertise and so startups knowing what expertise you have just come to you within this program with just an hour or a little more time that you spend with it each and they kind of explain what their business is and then we focus on a specific area. In this uh, specific scenario with 500 most startups that I've talked to we talked about growth acquisition cha- 
channels, like mm-hmm. how do you acquire your users and strategy related to that. Uh, we talked about landing pages and uh just product feedback generally. If you if you know we had enough time to dive into their products and think about, look at their metrics and see how they currently are growing and how they're currently acquiring users and then kind of giving them some um, third-party perspective on what I would do differently based on what I've learned and what I know works or doesn't in different industries. And uh, pitch feedback and go-to-market strategy in the U.S. because they primarily focus on the Eastern European market at the moment, but obviously most of them want to expand globally and they want to ideally gain users in the U.S. And it's quite different sometimes, you know, mentality, culture, you don't know the market as well. So we've spent a lot of time talking about that, how you would go with a specific product to the U.S. and which growth channel would you pick and how you would, you know, create messaging around what your product does. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of uh, yeah, a, a lot, lot of, of different things that uh, that definitely. could be worked on. Uh, yeah, and I kind of explained, you know, everything combined, but with different startups would focus more on one topic or another. But you know, this is kind of uh, a mix of everything I've talked about over the course of this last week. But it was super interesting. I was impressed with a lot of teams, and uh, it's really cool what what people have built here as well. You mentioned uh, using experience uh, of running your own YouTube channel uh, for uh, startups as well. You, you said it's like a startup. Uh, it's also user acquisition, like uh, subscriber acquisition. How how exactly do these uh, skills as a YouTuber, as a content creator, how, how do they translate into the world of uh, startups? I would say I mostly am referring to it from the perspective of how companies use social media marketing and content strategy as a way to acquire users because because I've been in this industry myself, I've spent a lot of time talking to people who are focused on content creation from the startup and company perspective and you know creator economy, passion economy is booming right now so there is a lot of people that are in it writing about it from the lens of again running a company and building a brand to acquire users. So I spent a lot of time reading about it, thinking about it, talking to people who are doing it, not just, again, from a personal brand perspective, but from a perspective of how um, a content creator, how a company itself can help itself uh, market and acquire users by creating content. So that's kind of the lens that I'm looking at it from, because content creation is a fantastic strategy if it makes sense for your product to gain traction and to build a community and to get users. So I think if it makes sense for a company, more and more people should be looking at Mm -hmm. it. So when I was talking to startups about content strategy and content creation, we kind of would go through, you know, is this even right for you at the time, like resources and budget? Because it does take a lot of time, as you, of course, know, to really build that community and gain that traction with uh, creating content. And then how would you even approach that? Yeah, uh, which uh, social media uh, did you recommend 
to those startups? Uh, maybe Clubhouse? <laughs> <laughs> you know, again, it's very specific to where your users are, which platform do, you, do they use, which platform does it make most sense for you to invest your time in based on what your expertise or people that you hire are doing and based on your brand messaging. Because, you know, if you're doing something funny and short, then maybe TikTok. If you're doing like a D2C product, you're probably already running ads on Instagram. Maybe like building a community there makes sense. Uh, I think, you know, I've already mentioned TikTok. TikTok is hugely un- underrated um, and it has a lot of different niches that sometimes people don't yeah. think about. And then Clubhouse, it's live. So do you have the time to create that community live makes also a huge difference. And are your users that you're targeting on Clubhouse? It's funny that you mentioned Clubhouse because one of the companies I've talked to, they were doing, uh, they were creating bins for recycling. So they're a company mm. that is basically motivating and partners partners with uh, B2B and with consumers to do um, more sorting of trash ultimately and they create their own bins and then uh, they're trying to create a movement around it and they were mentioning that hey we did a couple of talks on Clubhouse and a lot of our and uh, B2B customers were there really enjoyed it and they even got mm. some context from it so again it really depends on what you're building and where your customer is and how, how much time do you have but your main uh, platform uh, in social media is, I guess, YouTube. You have 100,000 subscribers there. Yeah, uh, my main platform is YouTube, but I've recently started a, sh- a weekly show on Clubhouse as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, what about TikTok? Yeah, good question. <laughs> you know, when the pandemic started uh, last March, I think everyone was like, oh, I'm going to be a TikToker. Like, I have to create a, a co- at least a couple of videos on TikTok. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't an exception there. I've started making some videos on the platform, but I didn't quite know what I wanted out of the platform and the messaging I wanted to send. So I gave up on it. And then I um, started tried out repurposing my YouTube content on TikTok. So recutting the videos that I already have and posting them there because some people do it very successfully. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I still didn't feel like I'm building something that is really true to what I want to say on this new platform. And because TikTok... Is has a lot of potential and is a big opportunity to create uh, a wide audience. I didn't think that content repurposing was the right strategy right now, so I just kind of gave up on it altogether. And in the back of my mind, I'm still trying to think, okay, what do I want to make on on TikTok and what message do I want to send? But I don't quite have a strategy yet, so Mm -hmm. I'm not doing TikTok. How about you? Uh, I'm about to start it. How are you thinking about it? Part of the content will be uh, content previously recorded and uh, re-edited to fit the TikTok standards and limitations. But most of it will be new pr- new content with my recommendations on biohacking, productivity, uh, thoughts on interesting books. Super cool. And stuff like that. But I'm not sure if it's uh, the TikTok type of content because everything I tried to uh, find in this educational, so to say, niche uh, was uh, like really, really fast food content without Mm. uh, any depth. Maybe I did not look good enough. I don't know. 
Yeah, I think it really depends on like which story you want to tell, but generally TikTok is fast food content yeah, just because it's of the minute. yeah, it's <laughs> it's so short and then maybe you can just send people to your YouTube channel being like, "Hey, if you want to learn more in depth about this topic, just follow this link." I think it's just mm-hmm. kind of a nature of the platform, but I'm confident you can find you can kind of tweak it and find an angle that it is yeah. that is a little deeper. Tweaking, tweaking is key, I think, uh, in in any uh, social media platform especially one dominated by algorithms yeah. you just uh, you use uh, the a b testing approach like in startups again exactly <laughs> yeah something that i've spent a lot of time talking about <laughs> to startups i've spent mm-hmm. time with it's all about testing there is no you know magic pill to say hey use this strategy and it 100 will work of course if you you know if you follow certain rules and you're okay kind of given up on any other ideas that you have about creating that deep community that you want to feel like they're affiliated with you there are certain life hacks or like growth hacks you can use but ultimately it's all about hypothesis testing and seeing yeah. what works for you yeah what about clubhouse i know you you've been making some content uh, on clubhouse and about clubhouse on youtube um do you believe in the long term perspectives of uh, this platform because you know many people say that this is just uh, some temporary hype that will fade with time Yeah, Clubhouse is interesting. I've spent quite a bit of time talking to a bunch of friends about, you know, the future of the platform as well. I think what Clubhouse did really well early on is one, it's a new format that seems so obvious, but not no one really thought about from this perspective. And then two, they obviously created a lot of FOMO and hype early on and a lot of exclusivity that worked for them uh, from the growth perspective. Um, however, I believe the growth of the platform or churn, the growth kind of is dropping down and the churn is pretty high. And I have a few hypotheses for why that is that I can share. I think Mm -hmm. one, you know, not everyone is an amazing speaker and (laughs) to listen to a live conversation, people want to be engaged, entertained, and unfortunately only a small percentage of people really can deliver. Two, people kind of churn out the same topics and they a lot of the times have shared everything that they can share pretty quickly. And then Mm -hmm. you really have to think about a new format or new topics that you want to uh, shed the light on. And so you see a lot of like the same conversations, the same stuff that you've already heard hundreds of times being recycled on the platform. And again, what I've mentioned in the first, uh, in the first point with the format being pretty tough, like podcasts, have a lot of editing for them mm-hmm. to stay engage- engaging and live conversation no matter what at some point kind of trickles down and becomes boring so you just really have to be on top of your game at all times for it to be engaging and for people to stay engaged to it so i think these are kind of some difficulties with the fl- the live format generally But in terms of, you know, the company and the competition, obviously, the t- Telegram launched an audio format recently. Yeah. And they, like, launched a lot of additional features mm-hmm. that Clubhouse doesn't have. Twitter launched Spaces. Facebook is building some product. LinkedIn is even saying everybody that. Everybody's hey, jumping yeah, in. Yeah, everybody's jumping in, like, with stories back in the day. Like, everyone now has stories. Like, LinkedIn has stories. Which Twitter is, like, has stories. Yeah, Twitter has fleets. I actually posted a fleet yesterday yeah. <laughs> for the first time in, like, months. But I think if we look from that perspective, perspective i believe personally that clubhouse could win there if they really make an emphasis on supporting creators Mm. and so 
uh, a week or two ago, they announced that they're going to have a creator monetization program yeah. and they've launched tipping. Um, and, you know, if they do help creators, I think they really have an angle there. Because if you think about Twitter, Twitter has never done anything for, you know, Twitter creators, mm -hmm. whether it be audio format or regular like tweeting format. Facebook, as we know, doesn't really care. Yeah. Like they launch some tools, but it's not their focus. Their focus is like making more money and making sure that people spend more time on the platform. So I think that angle could really work. Um, but in terms of what I do on Clubhouse, I've launched a weekly show with a couple of friends. It's uh, called WTF, and we're essentially exploring uh, WTF is a certain topic or what is the future of a certain topic, and it has quite a, a big range. We did a future of work, we did future of music, we did future of art, and um, we've had a pretty good turnout, and we've been lucky to have some incredible guests like Mark Andreessen. Uh, oh. With his wife, like Michael Ovitz, who've created CAA, mm -hmm. like MC Hammer. So it's been really cool to, you know, be on the same stage with such like absolutely incredible, inspiring uh, people. So uh, we've had good access to some incredible speakers and we've uh, at some point had 6,000 listeners. Mm -hmm. So it definitely has some traction, um, but it's just a matter of, you know, keeping up with it. We, um, and, kind of continuing thinking about engaging ways, engaging topics, engaging format, and then also outside of Clubhouse promotion. Wow, that's all very inspiring. Um, <laughs> you are, I, I would say, a Clubhouse celebrity <laughs> then. <laughs> 6,000, it's a lot. For, yeah, for, there, for there is a lot of Clubhouse celebrities nowadays, but yeah. thank you. <laughs> I wouldn't call myself a Clubhouse celebrity, yeah, but I can put it on, on your okay. bio. <laughs> Uh, all right. One of the central topics of this podcast is biohacking uh, and productivity. I think they are both related topics. One leads to another. Um, I know you've been also a vocal supporter of uh, these topics on your blogs. At least you talk about them sometimes. So I ask my guests uh, usually what they do or what they don't do to be healthier, more productive, etc., etc. Tell me your basic rules of uh, biohacking and productivity. Okay, this is a this is a tough question. My basic rules. I would say my rule number one is to get enough sleep. Ideally, mm -hmm. you know, enough for for you personally to feel healthy, productive, and not cloudy in your mind. For me personally, it's at least seven and a half hours mm -hmm. of sleep. I know there is a lot of techniques for how to reduce the amount of sleep that you need to get at night by, you know, uh, napping throughout the day at certain mm -hmm. periods of time. I'm not going to go into it. That's not something that I do. I just know that, hey, I need to go to bed at a certain time and then op optimize my bedtime mostly to wake up at a certain time. I've tried waking up early. I've Earlier, I've tried napping but now I'm just prioritizing those two things. Go to bed at the right time and kind of think through how I can get that And the right time sleep. is? Well, if I'm planning to wake up at 7 in the morning, I should probably go to be, be in bed by 11. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm focusing on. Another one is drinking enough water, something that I'm still struggling with. I'm, you know, I've tried downloading apps. Yes, <laughs> we have some water here. I've tried different tracking apps, reminding apps. I've bought this huge bottle of water that's mm -hmm. supposed to remind me to drink enough water. Does it but work? 
No, it doesn't because the wa- I bought a bottle that was too big. It's four liters and I don't need to drink four liters <laughs> of water. It's like a gallon. And uh, I think I need to switch to something smaller for it to work. Because then I'm just like, okay, I'm not going to drink so much water. And then you just kind of forget and ignore this bottle. Um, so that's another one. And then what else? Eat healthy, obviously. Um like 80-20 rule is what I follow. Mm-hmm. I don't follow any diets. And, you know, I've tried doing slow carbs. I've tried keto. Mm-hmm. I've, like, for fun, tried to be vegan just to see what the experience is like. That was quite quite some time ago. And I've listened and read a lot of stuff on nutrition. But ultimately, I, I, I personally believe that it comes to sustainability. Mm-hmm. And the best way to be sustainable is to find a diet or rather a lifestyle that is healthy you eat in moderation and you don't really restrict yourself in anything because for me personally, just kind of, uh, it becomes more of a psychological issue. If I say, hey, I can't eat sugar, I want sugar and then I'm going to binge on stuff that I, I don't even need to eat. So that's another rule that I follow 80-20 in my diet. Um, obviously, stay active. I try to work out two to three times a week. And with the pandemic, I've had a lot of, you know, ups and downs with my uh, with my activity and mm-hmm. my routines, which we can, if that's of interest, d- dive into later. But I'd say from the top of my mind, these are the basic rules that come to mind. And of course, there is a lot of different tweaking you can do. But after trying things with respect to like biohacking and productivity, I've kind of came to to the basics and to like foundational rules of how to be sustainable and healthy. Mm-hmm. Again, in the eighty twenty principle, you exactly. Can, uh, you, you, you can actually. I have another note on yeah? productivity. Yeah, we can dive into productivity deeper as well, and I can talk about my basic rules. But I've uh-huh. also found that productivity is a means to an end, and I've had some friends that are absolutely obsessed with productivity mm. hacking with, you know, installing a thousand different apps that help them type stuff faster, find things faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I don't know, don't not use their mouse. And they like write automation scripts. They mm-hmm. do a lot of stuff. But I think that if you're not focusing on the right thing, if you don't have that higher level strategy and goal for what are you even doing this for? Are you enjoying your life? Like with all these productivity techniques, you're not focusing on the right thing. And I think a lot of the times you can nerd out on like productivity hacking, but then it will not really, you will like do a lot of busy work or you're not really focused on the foundational right things that you might not necessarily even need any productivity hacking for. Yeah, absolutely. I'm advocating for uh, rational productivity. So you uh, you should include in your uh, productivity techniques, in your routines, uh, priorities, uh, setting, and uh, your personal life, your hobbies, self-development. That mm-hmm. should all be, for example, I use a getting things done type yeah, yeah, of yeah. system. David Allen. Yeah, I've modified it uh, for myself uh, to make it more m- modern because David Allen is a bit older than me. Yeah. He, he has this paper <laughs> style yeah, yeah, yeah. system. This is impossible for me. So yeah, uh, and GTD uh, dictates that you should include all aspects of your life in it. Uh, but I digress. Uh, I I wanted to ask about the uh, workout routine. You said something about the pandemic. Uh, did did it change? Uh, you stopped obviously going to the gym. Mm-hmm. Uh, you started working out from home. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, the pandemic, I think, has been a tough time for a lot of people when it comes to staying active. I've started very optimistic, uh, being like, okay, I have these apps with home workout routines, but at a certain point, they just get boring and you don't get motivated to work out. I'll keep it short. The problems that I've had is I didn't push myself hard enough. Mm-hmm. I uh, got bored from like all the different apps that I've used, and I've tried an app that sent you an Apple Watch and paired you up with a trainer that's mm-hmm. supposed to check on you whether you did the workout or not had a bit, bad experience there too I, I wasn't motivated like mm-hmm. with his accountability at all and then you know it's again not really kind of not prioritizing working out you're at home all the time there are probably other things that you can be doing than uh, doing the workouts so I've tended to shorten my workouts or certain weeks I'd feel super motivated I'm like okay I'm working out every day yeah. and then another week I'm like okay I'm not working out at all uh, and so now now, from January, I actually went on Instagram and I've looked through personal trainers in Belarus, my home country. Mm-hmm. It's a lot cheaper to hire a trainer anywhere here in Eastern Europe than it is anywhere in the States, yeah. even if it's remote. And I was like, I'm going to find a trainer. I'm going to contact them and I'm going to see if like working out remotely with some someone works for me. And it's been incredible. I work out two to three times a week. With travel, it's obviously a little harder, but I am going to be in LA without any travel plans for a while now I have someone who watches me and tells me hey you're gonna do another rep and like you're gonna do this exercise so I don't need to really think about being bored with a workout or coming up with a routine myself and yeah it's a person who obviously watches my forum and helps me improve and kind of tracks progress and it's much it's honestly like much cheaper than anything I would get in the US so that's the hack that I found works for me and I'm really happy I went down that route I feel like a lot stronger a lot healthier I don't have to think about beating myself up for not mm-hmm. working out and not feeling motivated by the way is there an app for for example Americans to find uh, trainers from Eastern Europe I or think that's Asia. a fantastic startup that's, idea that's, yeah. yeah I've been thinking about it I think any talent arbitrage is has huge yeah. potential and you know we've seen talent arbitrage in a lot of different industries but there is um, your therapists. startup uh, yeah former was talent yeah talent arbitrage yeah, yeah Eastern European engineers uh, but yeah there is therapists there is nutritionists mm-hmm. there is personal trainers if we focus on that wellness uh, sector there is so many different people that you could arbitrage and you know you're gonna probably pay them more than they earn in their country but at the same time it's gonna probably be cheaper for the mm-hmm. end customer everyone's happy exactly yeah. exactly it's a win-win so you know if you're if you're thinking of a startup idea I think that's an excellent one <laughs> if you can make the numbers and everything work <laughs> okay um, productivity you mentioned uh, some of your friends who are obsessed with it uh, are you obsessed with productivity I was obsessed with productivity I love reading books about productivity mm-hmm. I l- love mm-hmm. watching videos about it I love learning new things but you know I've kind of uh, I've kind of reached a point where I personally believe you should focus more on, again, foundational things like what are your priorities, where do you want to go, and what are some things that are essential for you to focus your time on so that you spend your time intentionally. Because I think with all the productivity hacking and all the productivity techniques, you can spend a lot of time not focusing on the right thing. You can, you know, over-optimize your Notion setup, for Mm -hmm. example, 
but do you actually have the one is it optimized for the right things and do you actually have the habit and the motivation to use it day to day because you can again like dive super deep into a specific system or hack but it's more about creating that habit and first thinking about what your intention with using all these hacks even is and do mm-hmm. you really have so much work that you need to be so effective because I think we are too often caught in a lot of busy work that is not that important that is like not really moving the needle um, and from that comes procrastination and then realizing that hey yeah I'm like I have more time in my day and I can do things quick quicker but I don't really spend that much time on re- reflecting on whether I'm doing the right thing so I kind of came to that conclusion and I still love watching productivity stuff and you know reading books about it but it's about picking out things that are important for you Mm -hmm. for the things that you ultimately want to do and I think um, the mentality of how can I spend more deep focused time on an important task with maybe using some productivity techniques like Pomodoro rule, something again, like not extremely complicated that doesn't take a ton of time up front for you to optimize and really move that needle than focusing on every single app that comes out that seemingly makes you more focused and productive, but ultimately is like a lot of wasted time to figure out how to incorporate it into your life. Uh, do you use Notion or to do it? I do use Notion. Yes, um, I used Rome Research uh, mm-hmm. when it, it was uh, yeah. yeah super hype. And actually, I love I loved Rome Research. It was great, but it it didn't have certain things that I felt like I needed. So I decided to completely switch to Notion. And I did spend the time to you know copy some fancy system that does habit tracking and like kind of something similar mm-hmm. to GTD on there. And I did spend in a Notion. lot of, in Notion. Yeah, 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 yeah. I did spend a lot of that time, but honestly. I, I don't use it as much anymore. Like I use some things in Notion, but not the fancy this system I thought I've set up. And uh, I'm just trying to focus on just the basics. Like what are my priorities long-term? What is my priority mm-hmm. for the week? What is my priority day-to-day? And I think you can do that on a piece of paper, on a spreadsheet, or just like in notes. Don't have to do like any anything particularly complicated. But not to say that if you do have the motivation, intention, and the habit to use the fancy setup in Notion, yeah. it definitely works. You know, I'm I'm always kind of uh, jealous of people who like actually are committed to using a cool system because I'm like, oh, I want to be like that too. But the reality is that I just don't spend enough of time building that habit loop. Uh, so I think it's cool. It definitely helps, but it's a matter of who are you and like what for- works for you, you know? So knowing yourself in anything is key. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you used Rome Research for organizing your notes, right? Like the this uh, famous uh, Zettelkasten system. Yeah, so I would. I loved the fact that Rome was very is very simple because before Rome, you know, I've tried uh, things. I've yeah. tried Todoist. I've tried all these different like to do notes. There is also uh, what is it called? Not Central Centrist. There's like this app that helps you do a to do list, and they put on med- like meditative focus music when you mm. say you're about to do uh, to- centered. It's called centered, centered. app. Yeah. Mm. Um, so that's another cool one. So I've tried a, a bunch of different yeah. things, but ultimately I would always result resort to Apple Notes mm-hmm. because I liked how non distractive mm-hmm. they were like you weren't distracted with like making the note look pretty there isn't that many customization that you can do to yeah. it and that's what i liked about rome it's just a clean p- piece of paper they have the date on it 
And so what I would usually do, I would just take notes there. But the coolest thing about Rome is this double directional linking, mm -hmm. which if you use uh, double squares, square brackets, or you can, of course, customize it to another shortcut mm -hmm. if you want to go down that route. Yeah. It will like create a pa page and it would do double linking to the original page where you wrote that out and to the page that you you like squared, bra mm -hmm. square bracketed. And so then you have this graph that ultimately represents how your mind and patterns work. Yeah, it looks really impressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I've used it for about two months and I've had this like giant graph and I could go to, you know, a page you YouTube ideas and see all the ideas that I've created from these different dates there and maybe YouTube ideas page linked to something else and something else and um, yeah it's it's really cool Notion copied that uh, functionality mm -hmm. but it's not as fast as Rome because Rome was built on it as a foundation so as a result obviously they they've optimized a lot of things mm -hmm. for it to be in the core Rome principle and Notion is not quite there yet and Notion at the same time has a lot of additional stuff like creating nice tables, creating the Kanban board. And that's a lot harder to do in Rome. But then you spend a lot of time pretty fine your Notion page because, you know, it's got to be perfect. And there's a lot of stuff you can do. And I think that's a bit of a waste of time in and of itself. Yeah. It's do you use Notion dangerous or, Rome or I use Notion for notes. I'm uh -huh. trying to implement a, a German system called Zettelkasten. Oh, interesting. It's, I haven't heard about uh, it. Well, Rome research is ideal for it, but uh, I wanted everything to be in Notion because it, it has a, a more convenient uh, interface for me, uh, although Rome is uh, impressive. So um, the Zettelkasten system uses uh, backlinks and mm -hmm. forward links uh, that you mentioned. Uh, you organize your own um, knowledge base, so to say, knowledge database, and Zettelkasten uh, translates as uh, uh, notes on mm. pieces, on small pieces of paper. That's, oh, like post-its. Yeah, like post-its post oh, notes. Oh, interesting. Yeah, but uh, like like in a library, you know, mm -hmm. uh, they have all these small uh, notes with the numbers of, of the books. books. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Cross-reference system. Yeah, that's but cool. I'm in the process. I, I'll, I'll make a video on this system yeah, because it's, it's, it it's really exciting. Send it to me. Yeah. I think one big problem with Rome is their pricing also. Yeah. Notion mm -hmm. is free for mm -hmm. personal use and then you can get a personal pro plan but rome is so expensive which mm -hmm. I, I i last time i checked it was 15 dollars a month and i don't know if they're gonna change it because they did mm -hmm. raise a lot of money and so obviously if you raise a lot of money you got to show the growth but what's cool about them and they is that they've built a cult following mm -hmm. uh there is a lot of people just absolutely obsessed and they have a really strong community but i'm, I'm curious to see how they're going to scale and compete with notion that is obviously copying their functionality yeah we'll see well yeah. let's uh, come back to startups and trends another topic uh, of this podcast sure I I know you uh, recently moved to, to LA. Mm -hmm, yes. Uh, is this the result of the so-called uh, Silicon Valley exodus? Exodus. <laughs> yeah, good question. A lot of people did move out of Silicon Valley. That is true. Specifically out of San Francisco. And 
I guess to talk about Silicon Valley Exodus as a whole, I do believe, I I, I don't think Silicon Valley is done in terms of its location because mm-hmm. some people say like, oh, Silicon Valley, like Miami is going to become a new Silicon Valley or something or else. Or Austin. Or Austin, yeah. But I do think, you know, Bay Area is still going to be booming. I think primarily people who are older, have a family, who have like stable income or have already made some money moved out of the Bay Area. But a lot of young people have already come to the city. I have a couple of friends that see San Francisco as a hub where they're going to be building their team. A lot of young talents will still come to the city. And honestly, it might be a good thing that a lot of like older folks, more established folks moved out because that moved the pr- that that dropped the prices. Mm-hmm. And that means that younger folks, hopefully artists, like culture will move back into the city and create that special place that it was maybe 10 years ago or so again. So I think that's a good thing. And I don't believe that Silicon Valley in, a, in its current location is done. There is still Stanford. There is still Berkeley. There is still a lot of talent hubs around the city. There are going to continue um continue help this place thrive from the technological standpoint and from innovation standpoint still so i think this is just a little bump on the road that the pandemic has created and maybe it's a good thing in the long term so yes there was a silicon valley exodus people say that miami and austin are going to have like much stronger hubs now and they already do. I actually literally was just talking to a friend yesterday who moved from San Francisco to Austin this week and he just made like a really rapid move mostly because of taxes. California has a really high wealth tax and uh, a lot of companies have just become public or are about to go public and so people are a lot more um, thoughtful about where they want to go. And my, I just went to Miami two weeks ago and that's why I, I guess I'm so or rather burnt. I mm-hmm. burned really badly there because it's so hot to see like what the hype is all about. People are moving to LA. Some people are moving to New York, but generally like New York and SF, I guess, were hit the most with people moving out of those mm-hmm. cities. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously they're the most expensive. Yeah, yeah. And prices among. dropped in, in mm-hmm. both yeah, quite yeah. quite a bit. I think SF rents dropped by about 20%, which mm-hmm. I think is a great thing because it was way too expensive for what you get. But why did you choose LA? Good question. I don't have a really good, you know, super thought out factual answer. I spent a week in LA in November and I really liked it. And then I spent a month there as part of Launch House, this uh, community for entrepreneurs uh, that I've spent a month prior in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um prior in in Mexico in Tulum and so they had a house in Beverly Hills it was in January so I spent a month in Beverly Hills living there and I got a chance to again explore LA a little more as much as I could within you know the constraints of a lockdown obviously Mm -hmm. because it was still on and I just felt like LA had a good vibe yeah (laughs) Yeah, it just has good energy. I felt like I built pretty good community, separate communities of people. I have a really strong Eastern European startup community mm-hmm. with a lot of friends living in LA. Some of them moved from San Francisco to LA recently as well. And because of Launch House, I've met a lot of American uh, startup p- people in the startup community there. So I really felt like, hey, I already have friends here and I have an opportunity to meet more people because Launch House is staying there for a year. And I know that a lot of people from my circles moved to LA that I still yet have to meet. meet. And LA has great weather. I'm doing things related to media. So I thought it was mm-hmm. a it was a good place. 
And I've decided, hey, I'm so tired of moving around because context, I've spent the last four or five months being like nomadic and living in a bunch of places. Gave up my apartment in San Francisco back in May. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't have any patience to go to Austin or Miami, other places that I was evaluating to spend another like month there to see if I really liked it. So I was like, okay, LA it is. I'm just going to move there. Yeah, but it's a nice city. Yeah, it <laughs> seems like a great city. But yeah. again, I've only moved two weeks ago, so I don't have a <laughs> very thought out perspective yet. Uh, you mentioned uh, while speaking about what you're doing now uh, and while speaking about uh, your experience as a content creator, you mentioned um, determining your own, uh, so to say, strategy mm-hmm. uh, and also media strategy, something like that. Mm, with, uh, I guess, YouTube, Clubhouse and other uh, platforms where you have your blogs. Um, can you tell me more about how you build this strategy? Maybe some parts of it are still top secret, but uh, the way of thinking, that's what interests me. I think from my from our conversation generally, it's pretty clear that I'm trying to go back to foundational principles. Like, what do you care about? Who are you? What message do you want to carry? And what do you like doing? So for me, it's a constant process of thinking, hey, what did I do well? And what did I not do so well through my social media journey? And kind of think, trying to think longer term, which direction do I even want to go in? Because there are so many directions, as you already know, with contents that you could follow. And what kind of community do I want to create? Because a lot of the times, you know, even with my specific case, uh, when I started my YouTube channel, I didn't quite have a lot of intention when I was starting it, which I maybe somewhat regret now, but mm-hmm. it's it's kind of wasteless to to think about things that didn't happen or you didn't think about because the time is gone. But I've started YouTube just for fun. I just wanted to try it out. And it was kind of an obvious story for me to start sharing my journey to become a software engineer in one of the top companies in Silicon Valley without a software engineering degree with like my journey mm-hmm. learning to code on my own. I kind of just did that because that was my story at the time. And I've had a lot of ups and downs with that story and that journey because as a creator, you can very easily get caught up in numbers, in seeing what other people are doing and in seeing uh, and in just being focused on like, hey, am I growing? Is this resonating, etc.? But I think what I didn't do so well is kind of really going deeper inside of myself and thinking, hey, like, is this the direction that I want to go in? And being focused so much on numbers early on, because I've had quite a lot of success with this tech, uh, tech storytelling. Mm-hmm. At the time in my, you know, actual professional life, I was moving out of software engineering. I was moving into my chief of staff role. But because that topic of like software engineering resonated so much with my audience, I didn't quite think that well about higher level strategy of where I want to go. But I was too caught up with the numbers and thinking that, hey, my audience only wants me to talk about software engineering. And as a result, I've like, I've had, I've burned, I've had a burnout, like, I guess almost two years ago now, I was like not making content that was really authentic to me and what I really wanted to say and talk about because I was caught up with like, hey, I already have these subscribers. This is what they want me to make. Mm -hmm. 
And so I think now I'm just spending a lot more time really trying to figure out which direction I want to go in because I know I kind of missed that point earlier on in my YouTube journey, which I honestly quite regret. I think I wasn't thoughtful enough and I was too caught up with, again, what other people want out of me. And I almost missed that point of sharing the true story and what was truly like on my mind. And, you know, I think the problem with social media is that people always try to come off like so perfect and they try to come mm -hmm. off with what they think people want out of them or like what image that they want to create. But I believe that authenticity and that storytelling is really what wins and what you should mostly focus on and something that I regret not doing earlier on. So I didn't quite answer your question directly. Um, I think these are like the foundational components, which I try to think more of when it comes mm -hmm. to content strategy. And then generally, it's again, like, which direction do you want to go in and what fits that puzzle in terms of what contents you put out? Yeah, I wanted to say that on the other hand, you could have uh, postponed uh, launching your YouTube channel and uh, you could have taken long months and even years to figure out where to start from. And here, I think also startup rules apply. You should launch as early as possible. Try, test. Now you have 100,000 subscribers. You can experiment now. I'm sure they, most of them like you and will, <laughs> will be interested in a new new path. That yeah, you new direction. Like. Honestly, I think that's... Uh, the core philosophy that just comes to anything I'm doing because I've had quite a non-linear journey myself. I'm originally from Belarus, went to Canada to study chemical engineering. Through doing, realized that that's not quite where I see myself, got into the startup scene, learned to code on my own, then like started as a software engineer. And then again, like moved to chief of staff, moved to product manager, started a YouTube channel just, you know, because I wanted to try it out. In anything, I tried to prove the hypothesis or disprove it by doing things because I think you can spend too much time again thinking of mm -hmm. that perfect strategy perfect message but while you do that opportunities or something else or like your own inspiration and motivation to do stuff will leave you and you're not going to do anything and I've I definitely had my times where I had an idea and I've overthought it and I never did it but generally I try to do stuff to see if I like it or not mm -hmm. Uh, so uh, maybe you could share with us uh, some insights that you gained while working on your strategy now and maybe some directions that you are exploring. Yeah, I'd say generally it's the direction of kind of bringing people more into my learnings and things that I think I've done well and I didn't do so well. Maybe more of my journey in exactly what I just said, kind of exploring and learning things through doing. I think my just general core message that I want my audience or any people that have uh, any friction points with me to get is that um, I'd love for everyone to find that true like calling that they have and mm -hmm. try things and be action oriented because I think too few people are really putting their actions to what they're saying it's very easy to just sit and like think about all the things that could work or couldn't work and not do anything and I'd love for more people to realize that true dream or potential of theirs and it doesn't really matter if I talk about tech or talk about I don't know books or talk about productivity or something else I want people to be like oh this girl is like trying things and she's doing things and she's inspiring me to also take action in whatever whatever 
area I want to take action in as opposed to just be a, you know, like a, a couch critic. Um, so that's ultimately the message I want to carry and which form it's going to take. I think it's just going to come from experimentation of like really thinking, hey, if this is the message, does this content kind of align with it? That's a great final note. Uh, if you are interested in which path uh, Luba will take, uh, subscribe to her channel. Uh, the, all the links will be in description of this video and the audio version of the podcast. Podcast. And also, um, I'll ask Luba to answer your questions to her that, uh, uh, that you want to ask. So ask them in the comment sec uh, section uh, on YouTube. Uh, we will... Uh, <laughs> I'll, I, come, I'll come and answer all the questions yeah, if there are any. Yeah, there will be this after party in the comments. Uh, this uh, has been Luba Yudasina. Thank you so much, Luba. Thank you so much, Greg. And thank you guys for watching. See you next week. Subscribe to Grass Channel. <laughs> <laughs>